God might be saying to us about 2019, the word blessed came into view. Blessed. And I remembered a good friend of mine teaching that the word blessed meant something different than I had traditionally understood it to mean. And so uh, that's what led us to this, this time. I, I don't know, we'll probably do about four lessons talking about this subject. So I'm going to repeat some of the things I did last week as well because we have some new people here. Plus I want to drill down on some of those definitions. Blessed. Um, this might bring some, some fond memories. It might... You might say, oh my gosh, let's not go back there. I, I don't know, you know, what your take is. Uh, I'm assuming you know who this is. And uh, the um, very famous or infamous time that he had here in Denver as our, one of the uh, quarterbacks for, for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Mr. Tebow was known for something called Tebowing which was something that he would do um, at the end uh, of the game where he would take a knee not to be compared with what's being done today in not standing for the anthem in fact he wants people to be very clear and be sure they know he's never taken the knee during the national anthem it was never a touchdown celebration it specifically was to thank Jesus Christ and it was about his personal relationship with God. And here's what he said further. I did it from my sophomore year in high school all the way through the NFL that before and after games I would get on a knee to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and also to put things into perspective. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to put some things into perspective regarding the word bless. There's a lot of groups who have quite a bit of influence today who are opposed to kneeling religiously. Kneeling in church. Kneeling in your spiritual expression. They say things, and you might hear things like, it doesn't suit our culture. It's not right for a grown man to do this. He should face God on his feet. Some have even said it's not appropriate for a redeemed man to do this. He's been set free by Jesus Christ and he doesn't need to kneel anymore. I took a little bit of a, uh, an article, a paragraph from the Pope who wrote a paper, position paper, on the subject of kneeling because of course Kneeling's pretty important in the Catholic tradition. And I quote, if we look at history, we can see that the Greeks and the Romans rejected kneeling. In view of the squabbling partisan deities described in mythology, this attitude was thoroughly justified. It was only too obvious that these gods were not God. And even if you were dependent on their capricious power and had to make sure of that, whenever possible, you enjoyed their favor. And so 
they said that kneeling was unworthy of a free man, unsuitable for the culture of Greece, and something that the barbarians went in for. Plutarch and Theopatris regarded kneeling as an expression of superstition. Nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to the scripture and actually the Bible. Kneeling is a Christian thing. Kneeling is a Bible thing. And the whole idea stems from a word known as Barak. This, these are the three Hebrew letters that make up that word. And the word means to bless, to kneel, to salute or greet, to endue with power for success or to praise or adore. Here's an example of it being used. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. Well, so they bowed their heads. That's not exactly kneeling, unless you understand that the word for bless and blessed used here is Barak which means to completely kneel, to take the floor and to kneel. There's another verse of scripture that deals with this same sort of thing here. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So, the, so they all praised the Lord with the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. Those two words, praise and praised, used there are Barak. To kneel, to bless, to praise the Lord. There's actually numerous reasons to kneel according to the Bible. One of them is found in Psalm 95 and verse 6, perhaps the most famous and common one used when it comes to the subject of kneeling. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We don't see it as commonly today in our non-denominational tradition, but I want to invite you that when your heart is before the Lord in worship, that you consider taking a knee and kneeling. There is something about it that I, I think, I think, dear brother-in-law, ties into what you were saying about surrender. Brother-in-law, excuse me, son-in-law. <laughs> I think it ties beautifully, Matt, into what you were saying about surrender and that the heart of God for us is to be completely so I think it has a lot to do Marissa with what you said about resting see I don't kneel out of obligation I kneel because my heart is consumed with his love with his presence here's another verse another reason that we kneel to adore him Nehemiah 8 6 and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now I would submit to you, 
I'd like to see anybody just stand and try this if we could. Is there anybody that would dare to stand and see if you could put your face on the ground? From a standing position. Yes. <laughs> see, kneeling, kneeling is involved in adoring. How many of you men have ever kneeled to your wife? How many of you kneeled when it all started to propose and give her the ring and to pop the question? Why do we do that? Isn't that an interesting tradition to kneel before the one to whom you're asking, would you be my wife? What's involved in that idea of kneeling? Is it not the desire to be one? To share life together? Is it not an acknowledgement that the one that stands before you is so priceless, so treasured to you, that you are about to make a commitment for the rest of your life that they will be the center of your desire? See, when you kneel, you're expressing a lot more than you were ever aware of. Here's another reason to bless the Lord through kneeling. Because it's an example that Jesus set. It says that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. Here's another reason that kneeling could be built into our spiritual discipline. It was something that the apostles did. It says in Acts chapter 21, when our days there were ended, we departed and we went on a journey and they, with them all, and they all, the, the wives and the children, they accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Love that. See, it wasn't just New Testament, or excuse me, Old Testament, it was New Testament. And I think... It has escaped the practice of the church. And I think that maybe, as the Pope pointed out, we are a little bit too Greek, a little bit too sensitive to the world, the culture around us, what they think, what they desire, what they want, what they approve of, and if I'm seen kneeling, then I might feel foolish. Here's another good reason to kneel. Because in the end, Paul said, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You see, there is coming a time where every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you ever asked yourself why every knee is going to bow? Well, ask. And then go ahead and answer it for me right now, would you? Why is every knee going to bow and every tongue going to confess that Jesus is Lord? Well, 
if any of you dared to speak up, I'm sure like me, what you've been taught and certainly what you relate to is that that's sort of a legal, authoritarian thing that bless the Lord, Jesus is coming back and he'll show those people who didn't choose him and he will force them. They are going to kneel, they are going to bow, and they are going to confess me whether they like it or not. Religion 101. That's how I have always viewed that. Now, me being part of the all, I, I don't feel that way about it. I mean, I'm going to bow and confess and praise him because I love him. The same reason that I do it today. But how about the rest of the world? Because it says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Well, last week in our study, I presented a, a, a critical review, not, not a looking down upon. I don't mean that. I mean, we, we unpacked it. We, we looked at it uh, educationally. We took some time and dug into it. We were intentional and purposeful with a certain word from the Hebrew. And that word... I'm going to stand on this side since it just seems to work better. Okay, that word is the word Barak, which I already mentioned. There are three letters in the word Barak, and they correspond to this, the action, the object, and the abstract. When you put them together, it finds us kneeling with a hand open to bless, to give to. Now, as we pursue that, we find a father-like figure, hand extended, blessing or giving something special or presenting a gift. This is the definition of the word Barak. And Barak means to kneel. Now, you might find it interesting to look in this verse with me and see who does the kneeling. Genesis 25 verse 11, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed Barak, that God kneeled before his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well. You mean God kneeled in order to give, to bless? That's exactly what I mean. It is that Hebrew word used in Psalm 95, used in Chronicles that we've already read. Same word. God kneeled to open his hand and extend them to bless Isaac. Now, this is not strange because the Hebrew, literal Hebrew rendering of that verse goes like this. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God knelt before his son Isaac and comforted him. You know, when you were speaking, sharing about prophetically what the Lord had told you, that he spoke to you but you thought it might be for everybody, it was absolutely for everybody. As you began to share it, Marissa, I felt comforted 
And then I begin to cry because I realize, and to your point, Nina, what a prophetic morning. We are in a new season. And I stood there and my hands out and I just began to say, as Matt instructed us, Lord, I surrender. I surrender this church. I surrender my sermon and what I'm going to say. I surrender those you bring and I surrender those that you take. Lord, I just surrender. And I can't tell you what peace came on me as spiritually I knelt before the Lord. I took a knee. There's a very famous blessing in the scripture found in Numbers, the sixth chapter. It's called the Aaronic Blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Here is a technical, mechanical Hebrew translation, translation by Jeff Benner of that verse 24. Yahweh will kneel before you presenting gifts and will guard you with a hedge of protection. <laughs> My God kneels before us and extends blessing to give us comfort and to bless us with protection. I submit to you that every knee is going to bow because he first loved us and bowed his knee in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is not going to be a, I told you so, get on your knees and confess me as Lord, whether you like it or not. It's going to be that everyone takes a knee because in that hour there will be such a revelation of his beautiful incarnation through Christ and that while I was yet a sinner Christ died for me see God's judgment is quite different than what you've been taught religiously God became flesh so that I might become his son. God became flesh so that I might become his son. Say it with me. God became flesh so that I might become. Now, I, I, I didn't put it on the slide this way because I wanted to be careful with my next comment but I want you to think about what I'm about to say. God became flesh so that you could become God. I don't mean God as in God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean that you take on through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, you have become a new creation, the Bible says. You are a species that never existed before. God died so that I could become fully like him in every way.
And in fact, the quality of eternal life is not the longevity of it. Right? The afterlife, the quality of afterlife, the equality, the beauty of eternal life is not the longevity of it. It's the quality of what you became because of what Jesus did for you when he died, was buried, and rose again. Pastor Jeff, you're always throwing around these big words and I don't understand them. <laughs> we, uh, we encountered that this past Wednesday in our book study as we were studying chapter 3 of this great book by Steve McVeigh and I'll go ahead and do a little commercial. We're in a book study on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock using this book as our, our guide. And so this coming Wednesday we'll be in chapter 4. Buy this book. Buy this book. I set it in our study and we are live streaming the study. So if you just cannot physically get here on Wednesday at 7, then uh, jump on the website, click on the link and watch the live stream and participate that way. You can even text in questions and participate. But I said it on Wednesday and I want to repeat it here. If there were one book that I was given the choice of buying and having next to my Bible, I could only have one to finish my life, I would buy this one. It is that important. The things that are being said and espoused and taught and the way that Brother McVeigh does it. I can't recommend it more highly. I hope that helps. Please take advantage. In chapter 3 that we were in this past week, he used the word incarnation. Those of you that were part of the study remember that. What does incarnation mean? Does anybody know? Want to foster a revelation? revelation? Okay. Say it loud, Jim. Within. Okay. Who else? In the flesh. Well, see, I think if we combine these three, we're really, really close. Yes. Say it. Reborn. Okay. Which is the fruit of and the result of incarnation. Yes. The incarnation is that God took on human form. God became human. Now in Western thinking this is just sort of dumbed down a little bit and it, it goes a little bit like this. Listen to me. Jesus somehow a lesser or different God. I mean he, he's like the son of God. He's not like big daddy. He's not papa. He's not like in charge. He's like you know okay. He's like the son. Jesus. He, he's separated from the father for a while and, and he came to earth on a mission and he took on a human body, okay? And then he went to the cross and he was, he was killed there uh, in order to provide a way for us to be forgiven. And someday we, we hope to go to heaven. That is a really watered down, unfortunate idea behind incarnation. Listen to me. Incarnation means that God died for you. 
There has never been a time where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been separated from one another. They are in this perfect trinity together. In Jesus coming to this earth, the Father came to this earth. The Holy Spirit came to this earth. And oh, I know there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They, it's one God but three distinct personalities and different expressions of the one God, sort of like H2O. H2O can be a gas. It can be a, a solid. It can be water. Liquid. Yeah, so, I mean, that's rough. That's, that's sort of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's our human way of trying to put... But in reality, let me just put it this way. God died for you. That's the incarnation. God entered in to our suffering, became human, and suffered for us, and died, and went into the grave. But because God is God, and his life is just... It's hard to describe God. His life created me and created all that is in the universe. But it's like, I mean, for one thing, he's love. The Bible says God is love. It doesn't say he, that's one of his attributes, to be loving. It says he is love. God is love. God is Powerful, God is beautiful, God is magnificent, He's creator, He's father, He's lover, He's and that God entered into my circumstances, into my life, into my humanity, and He died for me and He suffered. But then the very force of His nature, the very force of His love took Him out of that grave, raised Jesus from the dead to declare to all of the universe, I I have victory over death and hell, which have no more power. And I have redeemed my finest creation, my masterpiece, humanity, back to myself. That's the incarnation. The greatest definition of God's love is his self-sacrifice. The thing that makes the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so loving, so beautiful, so powerful, is they're willing to self-sacrifice, even for each other. That's why they never get in an argument. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. You've never been in an argument where at the center of it wasn't some sense or some measure of pride and being centered on self, self-centeredness. God has never been self-centered. He wouldn't know what it is like to be self-centered. He is self-sacrificing constantly in this beautiful love triangle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. Bible calls it the Godhead. We, we struggle to give it a name, but it's a relationship like none other. And oh, by the way, when God died for you, he did it so that he could reconcile you and redeem you and back into and put you back into that relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why I say God became a man so that you could become a God. In the purest sense of that now, 
I mean it. The Son of God. You know there's no difference between you and Jesus from the standpoint of your, your godliness, your righteousness, how, God, how much the Father loves you. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. You are as righteous before God as Jesus is. Because it's Jesus' righteousness. It's, it's what, here's another word we found out on Wednesday night that we used. Vicarious. Vicarious. So look at this. Jesus lived my life vicariously so that I could live his life victoriously. And no, I didn't get that from Steve McVeigh. <laughs> My wife will often ask me as we're riding home in the car from church, did you get that or did you read that? <laughs> Jesus lived my life vicariously so that I could live his life victoriously. What do we mean? What do we mean? Well, see, we've always in our religious tradition accepted that Jesus died for us vicariously. Say the word. Vicariously, right? Jesus died the death I should have died. He died for me vicariously, right? So that gives you a sense of what that means. You know what we've never considered? That Jesus vicariously obeyed for me. Jesus vicariously repented for me. Jesus vicariously believed on God for me and has faith in God for me. So that what that means, dear one, is that my life truly is about surrender. It's truly about trust. It truly is about rest because Christ has done it all for me. Christ lived... Listen to me. What, what were the 30 years about that Jesus lived on earth before he started his ministry? Was that just goof-off time? Was that just... You know, if you ever asked why didn't God just send Jesus to the earth as a 30-year-old, have him meet John the Baptist in the River Jordan, get baptized, and start casting out demons and healing people, and heading, heading for the cross in three years? Why did he have to be born of a virgin, and then live a life for 30 years. I'll tell you why. Because he was living your life vicariously. He repented for you vicariously. He developed faith for you vicariously. He obeyed for you vicariously. You say, Pastor Jeff, are you, prom are you promoting sort of a morals aren't important and that having faith, a strong faith, growing in faith is not important? No, not at all. Let it never be said of us. What I'm saying is that in the same way Jesus vicariously died for me, if he vicariously repented for me, then listen to this. Now this is Steve. This is Brother McVeigh. Oh, I love this one. I don't know if I put it, I put it on a slide or not.
Repentance is a gift, not a discipline. Think about that. Repentance is a gift, not a discipline. Why? Because Jesus vicariously repented for me. That's what his water baptism was all about. We get baptized to publicly declare that we've repented, changed our life, and are going a different way. It's a very religious kind of tradition we have. Jesus didn't need to do that. Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. Jesus didn't need to turn and go the other way for any sin. He was sinless, right? Well, then why did he get baptized? By the man whose baptism was called the baptism of repentance. Because he was vicariously doing it for me, for you. Repentance is a gift. It's not a discipline. It's not something you struggle with and sweat over and... It's a beautiful gift that Jesus repented for us. And so now I trust, I rest in his repentance. I trust and I rest in his obedience. God died for me and I trust and I rest in his faith. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You'll be able to put it into your notes. Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not in, but of the Son of God. Even my faith is vicariously received, vicariously built and lived for me. Let me help you with an analogy that I think will really bring this whole idea of Jesus vicariously living our life home to you. Brother McVeigh was on a cruise ship for his 20th wedding anniversary. He and his wife were out at dinner one night on the ship, and the dancing started. Steve is not a dancer. He doesn't like to dance, and he doesn't know how to dance. And his wife knew this, but nonetheless, she encouraged him. She egged him on, come on, Steve. And then a certain song came on that he knew really well and liked really well. And she said, come on, Steve, come with me. He said, I don't know how. And she said, get this, just follow me. So they got out onto the dance floor. They took their position and they began to move. And she watched Steve. And what Steve was doing was looking down at his feet and counting and, and he was struggling in his steps and awkward and, and she said, Steve, stop counting. Look in my face and just flow with me. Our life of faith, our life of obedience, our life of pleasing God is not about counting steps and being sure you're making all the right moves to please God. Jesus already lived life on earth for you and vicariously completed every requirement including your obedience, your faith, and your repentance. Look into his face. 
dance with him. And you will find that you start making all the right steps. Living for him. Living beautifully for him. Living wholly for him becomes a natural outflow of your divine life that God brought you into when Jesus vicariously died and then rose again. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I wish I had known this. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when I first started my life with Jesus. I wish. But I'm telling you, your life in God can be so magnificent, so beautiful, so devoid and void of pressure and temptation and regret and work and sweat and disappointment and resentment and all of that because you think you're not pleasing to God. All of that can be destroyed and ripped away. If you will simply acknowledge this morning and receive that God knelt before you in Jesus extended his hand and said here here's eternal life here's life as I have it and enjoy it come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest God knelt before humanity and changed the universe